Friends, you have been patient as we have walked through the book of Job, and we're just about there. This week and next week, we conclude the book of Job. Um, Today is chapter 40 and 41. If you want to turn your scriptures there, um, we're going to be um, understanding more about God's final words to Job as he closes his speech to him. Um, Remember, for the first 30-some chapters, we heard of Job's suffering and his experience of that suffering with his friends and how um, it was hard to understand what was going on. And here God is confronting Job with even more of his truth. And I was thinking about that this week and how I respond when people share truth with me. Um, I don't know about you, but I have a couple different responses when truth is shared with me. Sometimes um, I um, defend myself. Anyone defend yourself when somebody comes at you with truth and you're like, yeah, hold on here. You know, we, even though we know it's true, we still try to defend our actions, right? We do that sometimes. We're like, oh, I know I messed up, but I'm not that bad. Here's why I did what I did. Or sometimes we clam shut and we're just quiet. Anyone like that? I do that too sometimes. When someone, especially, and I'll be honest, my wife confronts me with truth more than anyone else does, as I'm sure happens for many of us who are are, are married and many of us who've experienced that. When she confronts me with truth, um, and I will be honest, it happened a little bit last night, um, I was quiet and I just sort of get subdued and I'm just listening and I'm thinking to my brain, thinking in my own brain, I'm thinking, oh, you goofball, you've done it again, right? Lots of different ways. Sometimes we even, um, I know uh, some folks who run and hide. Um, people get in their car and take a drive because they're, they're um, uh, feeling just this burden of, oh, I messed up. I, I really made a mistake. Um, how do we respond to truth? As we dig into God's word this morning, we're going to hear Job's first response. I messed up last week and said Job doesn't respond until chapter 42. He does. He responds actually here at the beginning of chapter 40. We're going to hear how Job responds to this truth. And it's actually, I think, sometimes really helpful for us to hear how he does it. So when truth, when God confronts us with truth, how it is that we respond to that. As we dig into God's word this morning, let's pray and ask for his blessing on our time. Father, we ask that you are present with us. Equip us through your Holy Spirit to receive your truth. Your words to Job are words to us, not only in the particulars, but also in the sentiment. And Lord, out of that, may we understand more fully how we respond to your activity in our world, how we see your creation around us, but also, Lord, how we see your particular and personal involvement in us, in our world, and in our lives. Each of us, in our own way, can tell the story of how you've been present. Equip us through that story, Lord, then to respond out of thanksgiving for what you are doing, what you have done, what you will do in our lives, so that we can proclaim to the world more of who you are. Equip us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Encourage you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to begin with the first five verses of Job chapter 40. It says this there. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over your mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. 
And there's a couple of things as we begin this sort of text that I, I notice about God's interaction with Job. He actually asks him a question and expects an answer. You even see how it's sort of structured here. God's words to Job, he said, him even saying, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? You know when somebody's asking you a question and it's a hypothetical question, they just keep talking and talking. This is sort of one of those questions where when God asks Job the question, he's like, who are you? What will you say? And it's almost like this pause, that pregnant pause where God is wanting Job to respond, to see what it is that his words are doing in Job's heart and in his life. And Job answers him. But his answer is probably very appropriate to what he's heard in the previous chapters. He says, I am unworthy. How can I even reply to you? Now, friends, I want us to hear this morning as God asked Job these questions. He's asking us particular questions in our world and in our life, especially in such a time as this. And he is expecting a response. Let me give you some of the questions that I think God is asking us today in the same way that he's asking Job. He's just asking them a little bit differently. He's asking these questions. Will you live... Will you, will you live to trust me or will you live to trust yourself? And he's asking that question of us particularly in a world that just seems sometimes like it's falling apart or at least is going so willy-nilly that we don't know what to do. God is asking you and I, he's saying, Jeff, will you trust me or will you trust in yourself? Will you, Alex, believe that I've got you today And always, or will you believe that there's something else out there that will give you the answer? He's asking us that question. He's also asking us this question. Am I enough for you, or do you think you need something more? Because oftentimes what happens, right, is yes, we're churchgoers. Yes, we're a part of God's community. Yes, we believe what this says, right? But we often forget, And when we forget in those moments, we're often looking outside of God for some sort of answers. And I think especially in this season of life, God is asking us individually and also corporately, am I enough for you? And then the final question is simply this. Will you follow me? Will you follow Christ? Will you do the things that Christ has called you to do? Well, I do those things. And those are particular questions that as God has asked them, both in his word and in our lives personally, he's anticipating an answer. He's wanting us to respond to him. Respond with our words, but also with our actions. And the truth is that In many ways, God does what he does with Job. He knows what Job is going to say next. He knows where Job is because God knows all hearts, right? He does that for us too, but he wants us to be in the place to respond. God's relationship with us is a two-way relationship. It's not just God doing something in your life and you're just sort of being and receiving. It's you and I receiving and then responding passage continues in verse 6 through 14. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. 
I will question you, and you will answer me. Will you discredit my justice? Will you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor, and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in all the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. What God is doing here is he's offering Job the, the, uh, the opportunity. If Job is as righteous as Job has said throughout those first 30 plus chapters of scripture, if Job is as righteous as he says he is, then he said, God says, okay, if you're that, then you can right my wrongs. What does he say? He says things like, You can unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. If you're so good, Job, on your own, then you do what I do. You do the sorts of things that I am living into in all of creation every single second of every single moment of every single hour of every single day. I am the God of justice. I am the God of provision. I am the God who makes all things right in myself. If you're so good, Job, then you do it. If Job can dole out true justice, clothe himself with glory and honor, and humble the proud, then God will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. And that's humbling to me. Because I don't know about you, I do what Job does, I question God. God, why are you doing this? God, how can you do this? God, can't you do it this way? That I stand in the footsteps of Job in my own life and in my own world and I make some of the same claims that Job has. But I did this right. But I've done well here, God. God, can't you give me what it is that I want? And God says to me the same words that he says to Job's and I, as I looked at these words this week, these are the most challenging word of this whole text, of this whole sermon. Will you condemn me to justify yourself? If you want to underline in that, that, that line in your Bibles, you can. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? I think we do that. I think we condemn God. In fact, I look at a world that so often lives that out, right? We condemn God. People condemn God and say, how can God do that? How can God exist if he does such a thing? But here's the beauty of us following Jesus and understanding who Jesus is. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, if you would, right near the end of your scriptures. Because we hear these words, and it says this in verse 1, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And this passage from Revelation comes after we hear about the specific person who holds all glory and honor of God and that's the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And you and I 
stand in relationship with the Savior Jesus who carries all of that and is like us. So all those questions that Job is asked by God, can you hold my glory? Can you show justice? There is a human being who can answer yes. And that human being, Jesus, is joined with us if we trust and believe in him. And he carries that glory and honor and we're united with him in it. This is one of those courtroom moments before Job where he and Job, God and Job are talking about the, the, the case that Job has and Job has to give answer for it and Job can't claim he's good enough. But you and I can claim that we have Jesus. It means we need to carry him. That means we need to live in relationship with him. I was thinking about that this week. I, um, often I'll, I'll, uh, on my um, on social media, I'll sort of rifle through, through some videos. Any, anyone ever do that? Just different cultural videos of sometimes it's celebrities. I actually look at a lot of um, uh, furniture, furniture um, r- when people redo furniture or when they make really cool tables and stuff like that. I look through all these videos. Well, one that came up was about Ricky Gervais. You know who Ricky, Ricky Gervais is? He's the guy who, he's the British comedian who created The Office. And the office, he created it for the UK and then he carried it over here. He wasn't in it, but he produced it and he's made millions and millions and millions of dollars. Here's the thing about Ricky Gervais. He's a really smart guy. But I watched a video this past week and he is, in his intelligence, a card-carrying, very vocal atheist. And the thing is, is he has very good arguments against who God is. He has very good apologetics in terms of trying uh, from a human capacity to say God doesn't exist. He, He speaks very well. And I found myself after watching this video of Ricky Gervais positing his uh, atheism, I found myself praying for him. I found myself praying that God would come into the life of this celebrity who has much influence and power over the whole world and that God would use this man's testimony to show the world more of Jesus's. And I trust that God hears that. I don't know if Ricky Gervais is going to change at all or not, but I think it's a good thing to pray for him. But as I was praying, I also began to think, but wait, aren't you just like him, but in a different way? Don't I carry sometimes the the challenge of carrying Christ's testimony? And I think about that in my own life in places like social media. Don't I carry Jesus in my social media? Don't I carry Jesus in my communication with others, how I treat others, even people who are at the grocery store? Even people who cut me off in parking lots. Don't I carry Jesus? And the problem is, is that I think that oftentimes my life can be an equal atheistic testimony similar to Ricky Gervais. I'm on the hook that Ricky Gervais is. I'm on the hook as anyone who doesn't, same hook as anyone who doesn't claim the name of Christ because I need Jesus to come in and rule over every part of my life. And since that hasn't happened yet, I need Jesus every day. If I'm going to pray for those who don't know Jesus, I better be praying also that I can show more 
of Jesus. The passage continues in chapter or verse 15, and we'll read the rest of uh, chapter 40. Look at the behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God. Yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring it their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plant it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow, the poplars by the streams that surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap? it and pierce its nose. Now, as we read that, you may wonder, and even this next chapter too, what in the world can Pastor Scott talk about when he talks about the behemoth? Well, here's what I can tell you, because I don't know exactly what the behemoth is. I know it was more like a, a culturally mythical creature of all power. It was almost like the dragon of its day. Nobody had borne witness to a behemoth, but they talked about it. They all sort of understood what a behemoth was. It was this grand creature that ruled the earth wherever it was. And God is putting this in Job's mind because he wants Job to think about the most powerful, incredible, beyond Job's comprehension sort of thing that Job can imagine, and then think, but that's my pet. So I'm thinking in that world, well, we don't really know what a behemoth is and almost every creature that we can imagine on the planet, I mean, lions have been put into zoos, blue whales, which are the largest creatures that we know, have been harvested for their blubber and all that other sort of stuff. What sort of thing would we, would, would we think about as we think about God's great glory and power? I want to give you this, a black hole. Do you know what a black hole is? Black hole is one of those things in space. We actually photographed one apparently like two years ago. I'm still not sure that happened, but okay. The black hole is one of those things that sucks all mass, all energy, even all light into itself. We don't understand them. We just know that they are awfully powerful things that have enormous impact on the universe around us. And I think to myself about the black hole, and there's been movies about, made about the black hole. You can see um, the one with uh, Matthew McConaughey. I don't remember what it was called, but the movie about a black hole and what that does. That's all just imagine. We can't really imagine what a black hole is. But what we can say is this, and that's God's ornament for the universe something that we can't even begin to approach with our imaginings and our wonderings is something that God has shown to us as one of his trinkets and beauties of creation that in his power he put there for his purpose. What an incredible thing. That's why Job is getting this picture and for us to expand that picture and think of creation in all its glory and power in a, little, in a moment I'm gonna tell you about, share with you a story of how God showed me his power on Friday. And I think it's a beautiful thing that brings the power of God from its enormity to a very personal place. And that's how I want us to hear that. God's power is enormous, but it's incredibly personal for Andrew and Matt and Shana and all of us. God's power and presence is for you and I. Let's continue and finish chapter 41. 
We get another mythical creature. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fishhook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of doing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together, cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. Dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone stone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear of the dart or the javelin. Iron treats its straw. It, it, iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it but a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sled. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron, stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment, leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal. Creature without fear looks down at all who are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. Now in the poetry of Job, God is taking a lot of words to simply say this. The most powerful thing that is in all of creation, a living thing, is something that does whatever it does for my glory. And for you, for I, for us, as followers of Jesus Christ and as human beings in this world, to claim any sort of power, power to justify ourselves or power to do anything without God is simply an arrogance and pride that's exactly what God is speaking against in Job. And we hear these words from chapter 40 and 41 in the previous chapters as well, and we can do that thing where we stand in awe like Job does, and we are silent. We, we stand in awe of this glory of God that extends to all creation and is in its power beyond our imagination. Or we can do something else. Let me tell you about what happened Friday. So on Friday, I've gotten into the habit of taking Friday not only as a Sabbath, but a day where I hike. Sometimes Kristen joins me, sometimes she does not. This past week, she did not. 
For those of you who don't know, almost every week in the life of almost any of us, and especially pastors and leaders in any way, they're hard. This week was no exception. It was a hard week, challenging. Lots of things came up that have just their own trouble and burden. And I went into Friday, going into my hike, really feeling that burden, really feeling that sense of being overwhelmed, like, God, what is it that I'm supposed to do and how, it is, how is it that I'm supposed to live? And my hike on Friday was a place called the Araby Trail in Palm Springs. Anyone ever done the trail? It's it's called the Sunrise Hike. It's on the east side of downtown Palm Springs. And to get there, I I was going to try to make sunrise, and then I slept too long, so I had to go a little bit later. I left about maybe 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I was in the road. I have to go I-10. So I'm driving out I-10, and I'm feeling this burden and um, just this, I just... I'm looking forward to the hike just to clear my mind and all that other sort of stuff. And I'm on I-10, and I got um, Pandora on my phone just because I like listening to uh, music. I listen to Coldplay radio. I like Christian music sometimes, but I listen to Coldplay radio on Friday, and I'm driving. And if you know I-10 as it heads out, just before you get to the windmills, you've got on either side, you've got the hills above Banning, and on the other side, you've got the mountains that end up accumulating in Mount San Jacinto. And the sun hasn't risen yet. It's light enough, though, that the sky is on fire with orange and yellow and blue and every color that you can imagine. And the silhouette of the San Jacinto Mountains is contrasted against these hills of Banning. And on Friday morning, it was really neat. Little clouds were intermingled among all the hills. And all this beautiful, like, landscape is right there. And there's... I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is, this is a, a beautiful space that I'm in as I'm driving. But then God did something else, and he put this song on Pandora. Now, I don't know what this song is about, really. I don't really care what the song is about, but he, gives, he gave me these lines. It's from John Mayer Say. Here's the, here's the song. He says this in his song. Even if your hands are shaking and your faith is broken, Even as the eyes are closing, and all those are me in that moment. My eyes actually, in the moment, I had some tears in them. I'm overwhelmed with life. There's a lot going on. It's hard. It says this next. It says, do it with a heart wide open. Again, I don't know what the song was about. I don't know what, what it was that John Mayer was trying to say in the song. It's probably about some celebrity lady that he broke up with because he did a whole bunch of that. But for me, it was God saying, open up your heart. And here's the funny part. This is ridiculous. And some of you think I exaggerate my stories. This is not exaggerated. This is the absolute truth. The next thing that happened two songs later was monkeys. What was the song? I'm a believer. I'm a believer. I can trust in a God who calls me to open up his heart. Why? Because I'm a believer. And then... Three songs later, Coldplay with this line. This line, and I know it's ridiculous, and I know it's nuts, and it doesn't make any sense to any of you, but to me in the moment, it made all the sense to the world. It simply was this line from Coldplay, hold me in your arms. I went from this moment of hearing how God has called me to have my heart wide open in faith, trusting that I'm a believer in who he is, And then he's holding me in his arms. And I know it's ridiculous. 
and I know it's foolish, and some of you, you feel free to make fun of me, all right? Elgersma at the rivercrc.com. You can send me, send me whatever comment you want. But in that moment, it was God speaking to me. It was God reminding me of who I am to him. And the beauty and the powerful thing of the firmament and the sun rising over a mountain on this side and clouds in the hills on this side and music that is speaking to my heart because God in all of his power over the behemoth and the leviathan and the lion and the black hole and all these things loves me so much that he would create a moment like that for me. And he does that for you. And he speaks to you in your heart, in your space. The God of all power and all glory is just, is interacting with us just like he does with Job. Face to face, heart to heart, speaking his truth and his presence, reminding us, I am God. In Jesus Christ, I have given you all good things. If you but trust in me, I am your everything. Even when you're going through the hardest thing you can imagine, I love you, Kim. I love you, John. I love you. He loves me enough to bring all of his glory into that moment with music and a sunrise and the hills that have been set up since the dawn of creation for me. For you and I to hear that. That's the God that we believe in. All powerful, things that we can't think of or imagine. A black hole that holds all uh, things that we can't even imagine and yet enough to meet us on I-10 as we drive out to go for a hike, speaking to us, saying, I love you. Let's pray together. You are present with us here in this space. Wherever it is that believers might be, you are there. You promised us that, O oh God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until the very end of the age. We trust in your personal presence for us. You, the mighty God of the universe, so great to make creatures and manifestations of yourself that we cannot even imagine. You are so great that you would love us. Name us by name. Call us through your grace to be a part of your family. Make us sons and daughters. We ask, O oh God, that that might equip us with that gratitude to go from this place, no matter how challenging things are, no matter how difficult life becomes, no matter the joys or the sufferings, to know the God of all power is one who loves us by name. You're the only one who can do that. We pray that you show us that truth today and always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.